Welcome to How Do You Write? I'm your host, Rachel Heron. On this podcast, I talk to authors about how they write, what their process is, and how their lives fit together. I'll keep each episode short so you can get back to writing. Well, hello, writers. Welcome to episode number 168 of How Do You Write? I'm Rachel Heron. I'm so pleased you're here. Uh, you might hear a giggle in my voice because this is the very first time I have ever uh, done this podcast without even brushing my hair. So if you're watching the YouTube, you're welcome. I just woke up and here's the thing. I have found out that some people really do listen to this podcast on the day it comes out on Fridays. And therefore, when I don't deliver, I let them down. Jeff and Will, I'm thinking of you. I have found out that Jeff and Will of the Big Gay Fiction Podcast and the Big Gay Writers Podcast listen to me for lunch. So it's 9.43. I've done a bunch of other things this morning. I didn't actually just wake up. I just haven't brushed my hair or put on clothes yet. Therefore, you see me in my leopard robe which is silly and awesome um doing this for you jeff and will so you can so we can have lunch together today you all are in for such a treat um i am talking to tommy arnold and micah epstein about creativity and art they are artists they are not necessarily writers they are visual artists and it's the first time I've had visual artists on the show and they kind of blew my mind in a lot of ways and have really changed my life in terms of uh, reincorporating play back into my art which you've heard me talking about it I got it from them so I know that you're going to enjoy this completely fascinating episode that uh, my virtual assistant and friend Ed recommended that I do with them and I was like oh god Ed I'll do anything for Ed. He's always right. He's always right. So um, there you go. That's what we're talking about today. You're going to love it. And in just a little bit of thank you or a lot a bit of thank you, thank you to new and uh, renewing patrons, um, Nikki Heisen. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Nikki. And Leslie Buck renewing. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate every single person who supports me over at patreon.com slash Rachel. And I hope you love the essays that I send and please know how grateful I am to you that I get to sit in this spot and do this. Um, I have no other news to update you on besides this is, if you're watching on YouTube, you don't need any more of this. Um, (laughs) I went to Austin for the story shop summit. It was great. And I met some incredible people and I love going to conferences because I always steal a few people and take them with me into my community. And that's what you should be doing too. When you go to anything writing related, meet everybody and tap the one or two that you really, really adore and bring them with you wherever you go next. Uh, That's how we build our own personal communities. We all resonate with different people at different times. So there's plenty to go around. And uh, so I'm glad to be home, glad to be writing again. And that is it. Let's jump into this fantastic interview. I hope that you are getting some of your own writing done, my friend, and reach out at any time to tell me about it. I love to hear how you are doing. Okay, happy writing. This episode is brought to you by my book, Fast Draft Your Memoir. Write your life story in 45 hours, which is, by the way, totally doable when I tell you how. It's the same class I teach in the Continuing Studies program at Stanford each year, and I'll let you in on a secret. Even if you have no interest in writing a memoir yet, 
The book has everything I've ever learned about the process of writing and of revision and of story structure and of just doing this thing that's so hard and yet all we want to do. Pick it up today. Well, I could not be more pleased today to welcome to the show for the very first time two people and two artists. We're talking to artists today, not writers, because I want to kind of compare what writing has in sim- has uh, in common with art. And I'm talking to first Tommy. Hello, Tommy. Hey, how's it going? Good. And Micah. Hello. <laughs> Hi, Micah. Let me give you a little introduction for both of you. Tommy Arnold is a digital illustrator whose work showcases the athleticism, prowess, and power of the human figure in fantastic and futuristic settings. He doesn't believe in talent and has spent a lot of time exploring the mental landscape that artists inhabit while they draw and paint in order to better understand what's possible and pass it on. His work has been featured in Spectrum, the best in contemporary fantastic art, communications arts, American illustration, and at the Society of Illustrators. Micah Epstein, is it Epstein or Epstein? Yes, you were actually one of the only people to get that right in the first try. <laughs> Micah Nailed Epstein, it. yay, is an illustrator working in fantasy and science fiction. After a childhood spent watching too many cartoons and reading too many comics, is there any such thing? It's unsurprising that drawing is the way he can most meaningfully interface with the stories, worlds, and subjects that he loves. Balancing a methodical and scientific approach to illustration with that same energy and joy he felt as a kid, Micah's work explores feelings of mystery, stoicism, and majesty in its subjects. Both of those are really good bios. Who wrote them? We each did after (laughs) significant prodding by others, because as I'm sure you're aware, a bio is one of the toughest things in the world. It's so hard. I have written 26 books and I still look at my bio and go, no, I can't do it. I cannot get this right. <laughs> yeah. It, it really does take like... some kind of like external catalyst. Like I had for years, like it wasn't until we started doing the podcast that I um actually like wrote a proper bio because for years it was basically just like, I don't know, email me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but... <laughs> I think, it, I think Tommy, it was on your website where you said, don't follow me, you know, follow me on social media or whatever, but join my mailing list. Yeah, I've been trying I to like push that, that too. just because uh, they can't take your mailing list away. That's but, the only thing we own. Yeah, well, and even that, it's like through MailChimp <laughs> or whatever, right? But the, the emails, is, yeah, it's a little, I don't know, it's, um, it's one that you control a little bit more, I guess. So you can develop a more personal rapport with people and communicate in the way you want where, because it all comes down to what you want, right? I don't want to communicate in a way where once I communicate or try to communicate, I then have to check my communicate every 20 minutes or else no one will get the message. That really frustrates me. So I just figured, you know, people really want to hear from me and I want to talk to them or vice versa. And that's nice because people send a lot more genuine replies because all the replies are secret. It's an email. So Exactly. And that's still how I communicate the best with a lot of my readers is, is that's where they come to me to talk and that's where I go to them to talk. And it's, and it's the way I like, opening my I love opening my email inbox and getting email from people or creators or artists that I love yeah that's a really refreshing thing to hear because I know that uh Micah and I have both gone through periods where we really dread our email inbox and so yeah finding a way to change that paradigm is is pretty important oh I hate my email inbox I literally (laughs) legit hate it so much I was just hating it for the half hour before we talked just sitting here (laughs) hating and going through I'm trying to maintain something like inbox zero but it's generally about inbox a hundred, but all of those hundreds have something I need to do. Yeah, it's a to-do list. That's it's the biggest problem to with it. It's a to-do list. So as when soon I as get you open it. Yeah, and I just um, there was one in there. She's a writer from Montana. Her name is Anne Helen Peterson, and she sends out these great, really relaxing emails about what she's been doing. And I just sat there and read it. 
And then I got back to doing all the other crap. But, you know, that was just a delight. So good. Keep up sending out those, uh, those newsletters. So I want to ask both, both of you this. Um, basically, I'm taking all my questions that I normally ask and kind of spinning them a little bit for art. Um, Tommy, let's start with you. What is your artistic process? And that's a huge question. But what I'm really looking for is um, nuts and bolts, day to day. What is sitting down to do your art look like? Well, it depends on which type of art I'm doing uh, because I'm in a little bit of a transitional period right now. Uh, I really badly injured my drawing wrist. Oh, uh, no. 20, uh, it's been so long now, I can't remember which year this happened in. Anyway, a long time ago, actually now, it's been a while. Uh, that was it RSI or an injury? That well, no, that's the thing is the wrist was totally fine. And then I took a fall at the rock climbing gym and suddenly it was just not usable really. And I, oh. I mean, it's kind of usable a little. So I would I kind of hobbled on and made it worse. And that became a chronic RSI that, right. um, that really was destructive to the entire musculoskeletal structure of the body on that side. And so it took a lot of work to get that fixed. But in the meantime, I did some soul searching and started working not just on illustration, which is historically what I've done, sort of specializing on book and story art. Uh, and I started working on comic books, which is fun because in comics, I'm the writer and the brief writer and the artist. So when I'm working on illustration, what it used to look like is that I would wake up and then just sit down and do um, the hardest work, which was sketching. Uh, I don't know exactly what the equivalent is in uh, writing, but I assume- First drafting. Yeah, this is really mm. quite difficult. So it's so painful. Yeah. I love revision, but I can't <laughs> stand a first draft, yeah. It's funny, because I actually love the first draft and I hate revision in terms of their fun, like what's more engaging, but it's more difficult. And I find that I just yeah. have more willpower first thing in the morning. So I would just wake up and plop down and just basically sketch until I beat the thing or it beat me, which usually happened around lunchtime. <laughs> yeah, and then I would too. go for a run, do lunch. And then in the afternoon, it was like, the autopilot stuff where it was like, okay, this sketch is already approved. I need to render it. And then it's just several hours of sitting there and you still try to be engaged with it and stuff, but it's just a different mindset. Mm -hmm. um, so that was, it's pretty rhythmic and it was just these discrete four hour chunks that would grow or shrink depending on my interest or waxing and waning energy levels. And then now I guess a lot of my work is a combination of study and practice, which is at first it felt really different and now it's getting similar where I'm, I'm a little bit back in a groove, but you basically wake up and do the essentials and the things you got to do, like my physical therapy stuff and take care of my body. And then, uh, yeah, sit down and just whatever the thing that is the most pressing in terms of my study of comic books, which sounds weird to say, but it really can be broken down in, in the, into something studyable. And so like this morning I spent four hours analyzing, um, panel shot decisions across like eight or nine different books. And I made a bunch of notes. I have like a journal that sits right on the desk all the time. That's like, here's how it went today. And it's that it's just the training journal. It doesn't have any drawing or anything mm -hmm. in it. And then uh, in the evening I do work that goes out. So I guess I kind of look at it as work that comes in or is internal, which is any self-development or practice or training. And I don't really interface with the world at that point in time. You know, we were talking about email and I never check email or, or any social media or anything like that before that period's up. And then after that, I have the same break I used to where I run and I have some food. And then during that break time, check email. That's the only time during the day I check email now so that I can just trap it and not deal, think about it. And then in the afternoon, 
whatever came in from email or whatever needs to go out, like, okay, we have to do something for the podcast or we have to, I have to finish an illustration that I took on. That stuff happens in the evening. That sounds really disciplined. Are you good with discipline? Discipline is something that no one's good with, but <laughs> I, I work on something that we talk about a lot on, on our podcast actually is um, we're both always kind of trying to design our lives the same way that we're trying to design our art to specific yeah. goals. So whatever I'm like hunting right now decides what, what goes on in, in the life. But yeah, I guess I'm pretty, I'm pretty rigorous. Uh, we were in the parking lot the other night outside of a, uh, we, we got kicked out of where we were having dinner because they closed because we were just talking about art and it just kept going and going. And we got out in the parking lot and I was talking about something about this, you know, the rigorous element of this, life crafting and one of our mutual friends turned to Micah and was like well you know you're not talking to a human um so I don't know I, it's been good and bad that I can be this way it denies certain other types of normalcy but for me now it's it is quite normal to be to be that way that's so interesting and it reflects my process really really kind of note for note including not letting other voices in not taking in the world until my work is done um the afternoon for the other That's stuff so interesting to hear it's a it's, lot of this stuff is based on universal principles that yes. you can boil yeah. down to science and then look at and in fact when edward suggested that we do this sort of um cross discussion one of the things he mentioned was that on our show a lot of the stuff we talk about is so general to uh, micah you put this best just a moment ago not the picture making process, but the art making process. Mm -hmm. yeah. And that process seems really universal across um, different types of creative acts. And so he said he'd been listening to our podcast and getting stuff and we've been checking out yours and getting stuff from it. So that's. And it's all tied up in that creating the, the artist's life too. Just like you said, crafting that. Yeah. Fascinating. Michael, what about you? What does your artistic process look like on a day-to-day -day basis? Um. In, uh, in some ways, it's pretty similar to Tommy's in that it's fairly regimented. Um, so right now, I um, basically, I, I will wake up and I spend sort of a while just sort of like taking care of like myself. So I'll like wake up, I'll like do stretches and breathing exercises. I usually go for a run or something as close to first thing in the morning as I can like safely manage. <laughs> um, and then I like to start the day with um, usually some kind of reading um either like a book about sort of self-development or um sometimes i'm just looking at art books or, or you know watching other artists paint or something to sort of like just really get my brain moving um and then you know for a long time i would jump i kind of let my commissioned work rule my life for a really long time mm. um and sort of with this 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 misapprehension that because that was paying the bills, then, you know, that just, it had to be that way. And then if I, if I didn't put it first, then it wouldn't get done. Um, and uh, I'm sure I'll, I'll allude to this at, at different points during, during our discussion today, but um, my big sort of project for the last year has been sort of retooling my own relationship with art because for a while it got to be a, a source mainly of stress. Um, and it just became like a very sort of unhealthy relationship with this thing that I, ostensibly do because I love it. Um, so most of what I do is sort of aimed at getting back to that. So one thing I started doing um, back last January that I try to keep up whenever I feasibly can, preferably every day is, um, you know, when I'm done reading and I'm, I'm like sitting down at my desk, I will 
do something fun for an hour. And the only, the only stipulation is that it's fun and that it's art. Um, so that's oftentimes that's pretty awesome. It turned out to be, and I, I didn't do it necessarily with the thought that it would become something as groundbreaking for me as it ended up being. But um, we, we spoke with another artist on our podcast named Greg Ruth, who's just an absolutely phenomenal draftsman who's become known for his sort of like little mini passion projects that he does. And he had, um, he had this one called the 52 Weeks Project that, um, as it turns out, I didn't notice at the time, basically came from the same place where he said that, you know, at different points, he realized he was like starting to have like a, like a Sunday night feeling before he would have to go back to work the next day. Mm -hmm. um, and I absolutely was, was in the same place, but sort of, it started out just a way to like make me look forward to sitting down in front of my computer every day. Um, but it's become sort of a really important cornerstone of a lot of the stuff I try to focus on. Um, so that's usually what I do first. And that can be anything from oil painting to just moving pictures around on my computer and figuring out stuff that I like to just doing free drawing or something like that. Um, wherever possible, I try to get in an hour of training, which um, it kind of just depends on what I'm studying at the time. Recently, it's been um, sort of going back to composition basics and working on how I work with sketches and stuff like that. Um, and then, um, you know, I'll, I tend to like, I don't really have like set meal times. I just kind of like, I have like a fixed like seven or eight meals that I eat in the same order every day. And I just kind of graze. Um, I should be more disciplined about that. But I'm I'll eat some that. some variant of lunch and then I'll usually sit down to do um my like commissioned work. Um, which it's just it just sort of varies day by day and it's pretty much either sketching, drawing, or painting. Um and I Tommy's already sort of alluded to this and I'm sure you understand with like first drafting and outlining that if it's sketching that tends to things will get moved around to accommodate that because like I can't train on the same day that I sketch because it just takes up like I just have a finite number of brain cells and oh they God, get tired that, real fast. That is so interesting because for, for writers, most, a lot of us, I won't say most of us, but a lot of us feel that first drafts are exhausting because you are presented with all of these, you have the, all the choices in the world. Whereas in revision, right. you've narrowed all your choices. You've got what you've got on the board and you get to work with it. So the, the energy level is different. That's completely fascinating. Yeah. Do you, do you find that you, do you outline before doing a first draft? I know some authors do that. And I do, I do a real rough outline. Basically I have a set of beats that I try to hit. Um, but basically as soon as I start writing, anything can happen. Is that, did, is that a long process? That's exactly like sketching. <laughs> yeah. Really? Really? Yeah. yeah. You sit down and you've done all this work to like figure the thing out and you make 20 marks and sometimes yeah. immediately it's right and you, you nailed it. But yeah. most of the time, one of those marks leads to a place more interesting than you could have ever thought of. And now you're screwed. What are you going to do? Stick to your guns in the face of a clearly superior product? And when you do no. that and, and you have the tone of somebody who's done that, and we've all done that, where we keep chasing what we thought was supposed to be our idea and it always ends up badly. And if you follow your gut, it turns out right. Although you may end up, you know, um, I have one book that's 97,000 words long, which is a good long book. And there are 103,000 words in the trash can. Like that were not reused. <laughs> just, that's awesome that you have the word <laughs> counts on that. That's a great <laughs> illustration of how much does get trashed. And I think that's, that's absolutely trashed. right. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, it's, it's interesting because I don't have a way of quantifying sketches that get thrown away because right. they often kind of morph. So they're kind of like in so many ways, yeah, there's almost like an infinite number of potential ideas that could have gone other ways. That's that you winnow yeah. down to like yeah. one or maybe three. 
And I think that's maybe when you keep a scene and you keep pushing it different ways, that would be like that. But then for writers, there's that delete button and that scene just goes in the trash because it was stupid and you yeah. just wasted mm-hmm. your life writing that. So, oh my gosh. But Micah, that's pretty, you, you just gave me a really epiphanic moment with the fun thing because this is, you know, this has been my full-time job for almost four years now and mm-hmm. and it's fantastic but i do have that sometimes those sunday night blues oh yeah and and i've been trying to let myself have like make myself do something else for 10 or 15 minutes a day and i even begrudge that in the morning before i start working but yeah. I, i'm looking at it in a different way what if i just give myself an hour to play yeah, I, I'm going to try it for a couple of weeks and just see how it feels. I would definitely try it. For me, I've, I've just found that like I, I tried for a long time to sort of manage that dissatisfaction by separating myself from the work. Mm-hmm. So it became more about like the the stereotypical discussion about work life balance, where I thought the solution was to like, you know, rigidly put work over here and life over here, and there the two shall meet. Um, and that kind of worked for a while, but what's ended up making a much more positive change over a much greater length of time has been actually getting under the hood and retooling how I feel about art so that that separation isn't, mm-hmm. it, it isn't like a survival mechanism. It just kind of happens naturally if and when it does. Yeah, um, maybe maybe a good, because watching you from the outside, that is a great way to put it that the difference between the negative parts of what was going on and the positive. Cause I really don't think yeah. that you can affect change by motivating yourself negatively. So to go, well, you do it for one really, day and you can't do it for much longer. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. I, I, I want to separate these things. So I just won't really think about the problem. And Micah, you kind of talked about getting under the hood. It was really like you had a, a car that was messed up and you just like duct taped it closed. And <laughs> we're like, I'll keep driving. But yeah, it was it's, pretty much like, yeah, I'll drive for 15 minutes at a time and then walk away and forget that the car exists and then drive for another 15 minutes. Yeah, yeah. And the, I'll uh, get the rest there. of the I'll time, I'll focus so hard on making sure that car is not in my mind. But yeah. you really seem to have tapped into gold with this in this fun hour because what it really is, is training self-indulgence. Yes. Yeah. Which is absolutely. the root of all good art making in that, like you said, you said, uh, you know, Rachel, about shooting from the gut, like you have to learn to trust yourself and to know even what you like and what you enjoy. And if you're always doing what you should do, how can you ever figure that out? So this- Oh my God, my life is a should. I'm always trying to work that- we, Yeah, we should hate is, that word. Yeah. I hate that word. Yeah. Rachel, so, you even mentioned that like, you know, you, you sometimes um, sort of begrudge the need to take 15 minutes before starting mm-hmm. your scheduled work. And that's something that I've really been um, kind of struggling with myself, even, even doing this, this fun hour thing is that there is, it's really interesting to hear you say that because there's this tendency for like the schedule to kind of dominate a person's psyche. Like not, e- not even like, in a little way, but in a huge way. Yeah. yeah. To, to, and it, and we'll, I, I find myself and I've seen in other people like, you know, recontextualizing everything that happens based on that. So like things that you have to do before getting down to your work work, um, just become distractions or, you know, annoyances, even if they're actually quite important. And there's, there's like, I, I realized for a long time, I thought I just hated doing art. And I realized like, oh, no, I hate feeling behind schedule. But because of how I think about, or thought about art for such a long time, whenever, or and because of how I thought about, you know, work that I should be doing, every time I sat down to do art, I was already behind schedule. So they were just like merged. It's so interesting to hear some someone from a different discipline say that 
it's just interesting to hear that this doesn't just happen in visual art. I, I'm starting to think it's just a symptom of any field that requires a certain level of like rigid self-discipline. Um, well, there's the, um, oh gosh, what's her name? The dancer uh, who wrote Twyla Tharp's book on creativity. When I read that, you know, she's, she's a dancer and she wrote a book about creativity that is brilliant. And that's the point at which I was like, oh, it is kind of all the same. I'm throwing these questions out the window. We'll get to what we get to. Um, I wanted to ask you, you're both full-time creatives then. Yes. Right. Um, so all three of us have done that thing where we turned our passion into our profession, which I think is incredible. And we're so lucky that we got to do that. So you've got the fun hour, Micah. What, what other ways do you guys keep it fun? Do you have, I find myself, I need outside hobbies. Like now I need something to fuck around with that isn't writing, you know? Do you do any of that? Uh, I feel like we're hesitating for a damning amount of time here. <laughs> that was no. a really long pause. <laughs> the, I was just wondering who's going to talk first uh, because for me, it's just, no, there's not, there's no framework in which anything can exist in which it's not tied to artistic. Well, creation. that is true. There's mm -hmm. nothing so, I don't do that I'm not thinking about writing. Yeah. So when I try to, we've all had periods where we're like, oh, people say you should have work-life balance. And I, I hate that phrase because it so misses the point um, that if you really are doing this stuff right, then there is no feeling like that. There's no, there's nothing to miss. There's no. There's email and, though. But, but even that you can <laughs> like, you can always like tune things. You know, the car is like constantly breaking down because that's life <laughs> and the car is made of entropy. But you, yes. You have this like ability, this human ability to mess with it and move forward. And so anything I've ever tried to take on, it instantly just becomes part of the art or it, it feels like it keeps me from it and it, it goes away. But I've never successfully looked for anything else in maybe sometimes even to my detriment. I don't know. But no, there's not. I don't. I, I think anything that I'm. Because if I get interested in it, I consider myself interested through the lens of art. So it just comes in when it needs to for, for art. Yeah, it's one of those things that you see it when you see it because you have You're to see looking. it. Everything is, yeah, exactly. And everything is sucked into this black hole of our obsessions. Yeah, maybe. but I don't, even that word puts it in a little bit of like a, a negative light. Uh, oh, I like to negative shit up. Yeah, yeah okay, problem. fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> I like the word passions that you used. That was good <laughs> for, for this stuff. Um, My, Micah, you, uh, you, you jump in on this. Yeah, I, um, I absolutely have stuff outside of art that I enjoy doing. Um, <laughs> not that, and it's not stuff that I seek out specifically as a break from art. It's just kind of stuff that I like. Um, so like I, I enjoy playing video games. I enjoy just like reading mostly fiction. I read a lot of fiction. Um, really just those two things and then just <laughs> started as such an exhaustive sounding list and yeah no it's turned out to be two well no i was thinking about like the rest of that list is just drawing um yeah. so yeah. yeah it um but though even even like my my hobbies outside of art i've i always try to sort of manage my relationship with them because i think they're at their most beneficial when they are related to art um not intrinsically, but just in that 
if I can take energy or ideas that I get in any of those things and move that into art, um, because, you know, a lot of things, like when I was a little kid, like the comics that I read, the games that I played were the reasons why I started drawing in the first place. And that's something that I've been really interested in reconnecting to recently is art as a way of interfacing with a thing that I like um, and exploring something that I can really only do through drawing. Um, and I, this is, it's an ongoing process. It isn't something that I've, I've really cracked yet, but I've, I've definitely used hobbies as escape hatches from art very frequently. Yes. And they've never been as beneficial as when I've gone the other way and tried to sort of fold everything together enter this like central identity. Um, if that it makes any sense at all outside of my own head. Um, Absolutely. But, and I love that you okay. said reading too, because reading, I think for all three of us just feeds this. It, it feeds so much of it, whether you're reading comics, whether you're reading novels, whether you're, I mean, if I could have perfect days, it would be moving from the bed where I'm reading to the computer where I'm writing and basically just going back and forth mm. in those two places. And that is, yeah. that's an ideal day for, for me. Um, what is your biggest, what is each of your biggest challenges when it comes to actually doing the art? How about Tommy, you go first. Uh, I'm like you, I really enjoy to read. So, it's very easy for me to get lost in thoughts about how cool this technique is for drawing or how interesting this technique is for maintaining presence in the work or how all this stuff is so connected. And ah, I just want to go on a walk and like think about this stuff. But what I love about the field of art is that you can't really do anything until you can do it. You have to put it down on paper or else it's not real. It doesn't leave your head. And so my, biggest challenge habitually has been to leave the fantasy of being decent at art and to enter into the difficulty of being just okay at it. And whenever I face that challenge, I feel really good. And slowly that's built. You get kind of hungry for things that challenge you in that way, but mm -hmm. it's still not a native human thing to want to walk into the cave of failure. And so I guess every time that you do it, you, you condition yourself against it a little bit. And when I've been at my worst is times when I, I grow quite fearful and I stick to the cusp of the cave of failure and I just hang out near it and I go, Hey everyone, I'm near the cave of failure. <laughs> and they're like, Oh, that's really good for you. Oh, nice. Nice. And I'm like, I know, I know it's pretty awesome, but I don't, but I don't walk in. And so, um, yeah, that, that, I love that can that. be tough, but, but, um, every day I try to build in more, well, step in a little further. So I'm, I'm pretty deep in right now. And it's, it's weird in here. It's just, oh, it's so, <laughs> I'm always telling my students like the, the, one of the number one things I'm always telling them is to lower your expectations. Just, you know, you have this expectation for yourself, lower it. Yeah, it can't, and I'm, I also just heard this on a podcast the other day and I can't remember where it was. Um, I think it might've been uh, Adam Grant talking uh, about making a failure resume, a failure bio. <laughs> That's a great idea. Isn't oh it? Because our I'm going to do it. I'm going to put it on my site because our bios make us look like really pretty cool. Yeah. Um, but really I'm only here. The bio is there because of how much I have failed and how, how, yeah. no, I'm never, I always like to think that I'm comfortable with failure, but I'm absolutely not. I hate failure. Well, how could you ever but be? I mean, it's a yeah. constant challenge, like meditation. Yeah. How could you ever not have thoughts? You're going to yeah. have them. So part of this is learning to reconcile with, I, I think that's, yeah, uh, this is it, my yeah. favorite uh, and one of the harder of the questions that you've uh, presented us uh, just because 
if you don't have challenges, you're not really doing it. <laughs> you know, there has to be something that you're really struggling with. To, that's the struggle is the activity. I think there's a lot of people though who don't understand that when they're trying to mm, of course. do their art. Are you, are you both familiar with Ira Glass's theory of the gap? Uh, I, I am just yeah. as it was related in um, Robert McKee's screenwriting book story. Oh, did he mention it? Yeah, basically. Uh, yeah, that, I believe that we ha- so. Yeah, we have great taste, and because we have great taste, we know that when we do our work, it is not at the level at which we want it to be, and it's the tension between something being good and what we actually did and are trying to fix to be good. That's the tension. That's in that tension is where most people usually drop out because they're not comfortable just being so sucky in here you know and it's really uncomfortable so if we can embrace the suck Micah mentioned his identity earlier that when he could successfully be a little happier he was integrating more things under one central identity and even though I like those things to be organized I think the the smaller your identity can be that more helpful it is for living in that tension Um, Mm -hmm. I don't remember where I picked up this idea it's definitely not mine uh, because it's a decent idea Um, but (laughs) basically that you the less you are the less there is to that you're fighting you're not fighting your own perception of yourself in that void of tension so you get in there and you go oh i'm gonna do a thing oh i couldn't i'm gonna fail but but why should you be able to do it you know so if you let go of the idea that anything you should be able to do we mentioned that word a bunch so far but it's a terrible word should and what you might be able to do and just can you reduce your identity like after i hurt my wrist i had to reduce my identity to some kernel of myself that didn't involve making art and i'd never I, been in that place before how that is i don't how did you get through that uh very painfully and with a lot of sadness it's um, it's one of my great it's one of my greatest terrors to know that like yeah. something like a stroke could happen and suddenly i would have the writing ability to be removed and it is it is who i am and i know that's not who i am but it's something i drive around you know Oakland thinking about yeah <laughs> what would what would happen if I couldn't be a writer I don't know um yeah but you was, are you are an artist so you are speaking from a place same, the same place recovery. yeah oh yeah. uh, I guess yeah I just recovered into a different thing I guess I don't really yeah. feel like I'll ever be that what I was before again and yet I didn't lose the deeper kernels of, of what I was I suppose but I didn't know what they were at the time so it just you don't really change until you're forced to. So I can't give any sort of prescription for how I would achieve this in oneself besides get out there with a hammer and slam them fingers. Um, <laughs> I, you just, the brain, like it just finds a way. And, and so, um, but it was a reading of philosophy where I found this idea that you could shrink the identity uh, sort of intentionally actually. And mm-hmm. um, so being in those desperate situations, but that's what the cave of fear is, is that you give yourself controlled yet desperate situations. And that's why I think that what the value is walking in that scary place, because you, you can, you can figure this stuff out. If you even think you have to, you can really trick yourself into thinking that something's essential to do. And uh, brains will believe what we tell them. Yeah. And get, get the, get the results that way. It's also problematic. Um, Michael, what about you? What's your biggest challenge when it comes to doing your art? Oh goodness. Oh, this is gonna be such a long answer. Um, <laughs> so many things. Um, I, I think I, I, I will echo Tommy's comments a little bit at first, which is that um, really sort of overcoming that, that basic human tendency to shy away from, from challenge and failure. Um, I, 
I know it's it's probably not like a smart thing to say for my career, but I honestly like it. it and I don't think many people in their natural state like enjoy the challenge and failure that is um, hmm. uh, endemic to to succeeding and, and growing. It does um, not feel good, and we shy away from things that don't feel good. <laughs> absolutely, yeah. and and I am. I've done a lot of a lot of work on this in the past year because I, I do think that like you know oftentimes the, the solution to improving our art is to improve ourselves. But um, I am endemically a catastrophically attention deficit and extremely anxious person. Um, and when I've been at my worst, it's those two things have been, you know, like I was saying about like the external hobbies, when I'm at my best, when those are sort of wrapped up in the art and everything mm-hmm. is sort of feeding into each other. Um, I've had a lot of difficulties with art becoming sort of the focus of anxiety. Um, and so, you know, just like, you know, there's basic mechanical stuff, like it's tough to stay on task, especially when something is really tough. Um, but also just managing my emotional relationship with painting and drawing, um, because so often my brain will just sort of automatically scapegoat it. Um, if I'm, if I'm feeling, it's like I was thinking about like the, the, you know, it's not that I hate painting. I hate feeling behind schedule. Mm-hmm. Um, it took me a long time to realize that one because I just thought that doing art was inherently miserable. Um, and then I kept wondering, is like, man, whenever I sit down and do art for myself, it's super fun. But whenever I do my job, it's terrible. Guess that's just life. Um, <laughs> but uh, just, just sort of, you know, separating these sort of emotional distinctions for me is um, challenging, but rewarding. But it's, I'd be lying if I said it hadn't sometimes been a absolute, like, miserable, bloody struggle sometimes. Oh, but no. isn't that comforting to hear? I don't know why, as artists, <laughs> we are comforted to hear that other people are struggling. Yeah, you're, you're right, though. We are. I don't know how all the conversations end up like this. Like, our <laughs> podcast is the same way. It's just a bunch of people telling each other, it'll be okay. I feel terrible that way, too. <laughs> I, have a, I have another podcast that I share with my friend Jay Thorne. He's a writer. And, um, and, the, and we ask each other questions. It's called The Writer's Well. And a couple weeks ago, I asked him, is it worth it? And it devolved into this, Ooh, you know, like, that's an interesting I don't one. know. And we actually got <laughs> emails from listeners. One person, like, said, do you, you guys need counseling? I'm like, oh, we're good. We're still going to do it. But. I think most yeah. people do, to be honest. I mean, if, I'll, I'll throw yeah, that out. That yeah, true. my sister has a great saying, which is anyone who can afford it should be in therapy. Hell yeah. yes. Okay, so what about your, we are going to skip some of these because I know we're running out of time, but what is, what is your we, biggest joy? We know you have a timeline, but we're not in a super rush. So okay. we'll, we'll go at the pace that's comfortable and okay. you can tell us you're done whenever. Okay, yeah. thank you. <laughs> yeah, Because <laughs> this is fantastic so far. What is your biggest joy, Tommy, when it comes to your art? Uh, I've started on all of them. Make, my, make Micah start. <laughs> okay, Micah, you start. <laughs> biggest joy. Um, there is... Hmm. This is why I pawned it off. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? I'm like, oh man, I wish I had someone else I could just. What, like, what feels the, the best? To. What feels the best when you're creating? Is it just the act of creating itself? I'm, I'm actually, I'm thinking there's a particular incident that happened recently that sort of uh, exemplifies, I think, the things that I like most about art. And I'm trying to think of a way to like boil that down into like a centralized theme, but. Um, I'll just go ahead and tell the story because I'm a long-winded rambler. This um, is a story podcast. Yeah, I, I had um I had been really struggling with some aspects of like the the basic sketching process for um for a long time and um 
it was really inhibiting my ability to start a lot of things that I enjoyed. And I did hit it. I I'd worked on it for a while and I hit a big breakthrough in it. It wasn't the as the, the fact of solving a problem specifically, it was solving that particular problem because that lets me tap into the thing that I kind of started doing this in the first place for, which is um, just the ability to be a dumb, impulsive child. Like <laughs> when I hit this breakthrough with sketching, I was like, oh, right. I could, I could draw just about anything. Aww. It could be tough, but like, just, I mean, just from, just from like a basic sketch phase. I mean, this isn't getting mm -hmm. into like technical abilities required later on down the line, but just sort of like, you know, if I have like a dumb idea about a little story I want to illustrate, I can do that. So, you know, if I, if I have just like a thought about a character, I can get that out on the page. Um, and that was something that had been sort of locked away behind a big, terrible vault door of fear for a long time. Um, but at its core, that's the kind of thing that like, that's why I started drawing. Like when I was a kid is, you know, I would, I'd be sitting there like playing Zelda or something. And after a certain point, the game ends, but I'm like, I really kind of want to keep thinking about this. And there's certain things I can't do in that game. So I'm just going to sit here and draw it. Um, that is and, magical. Yeah. Just, just interfacing with ideas and being, and using it as a way to explore just things and feelings that are interesting to me. And, um, it's it's at its most enjoyable when I do sort of feel empowered to do that, if mm. that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And again, it is exactly the way I use writing. Oh, good. Okay. It's, I don't I don't ever know what I think about anything until I start writing about it. I don't know what I believe yeah. or what I know to be true until I find it through words. And something you just said reminded me of that. Tommy, how about for you? Where's where's the joy? There's no one to pass the buck to now. <laughs> It follows quite naturally from what you two were just talking about. And uh, I'm a little surprised at this answer as I give it, but it's possible that my favorite moments related to making art are these, that the ability to commune with others. Oh, I love that. Yes. Uh, because art is another podcast I listened to uh, that that's no longer going on. Uh, called Your Dreams, My Nightmares by Sam Weber. There was a brief discussion in one episode about would you make art if no one was going to see it? Mm -hmm. And they agreed no. And I've thought about it a lot. And I also think probably no. Uh, but it's funny because the moment where someone sees my art is not the part I get excited about. Um, but the, ch the chance that communication could occur on channels that are as ancient as our race and that are sure and definite and yet at the same time they're indefinable there's something so contradictory and yet real about the art making process and that's what life feels like so it it's just this microcosm where like you you mentioned you're using it to work on yourself and you come out a little bit changed and the the evidence is there on the page somehow. And then you and another person who've inter interfaced with those experiences individually can get together and go, hey, when I was in there and it felt like this, did you feel that? And they go, yeah, man, I, I did feel that. What is that? And then you have a discussion about it. And um, those discussions give me the fire and drawing uses some of that fire. And sometimes drawing gives you fire, but it, it's not, I don't know, for me, and again, this, this kind of goes back to my, my difficulties of 
the realm of the ideas is so exciting to me. And so when we have discussions like this and we come up with ideas and we find out that we're all human and we're all just normal people and making stuff and it's hard, that's really cool and universal. And uh, I enjoy that feeling of, of connection. I was just thinking about this this week where, um, you know, I heard that question, would you continue to write or do your art if, uh, if no one were going to look at it? And I thought, I realized that if there was any chance that anyone could look at it, I think I would continue doing it even if, even though I don't care. I decided that if I were the last person on earth, yeah. if I thought an alien race might someday uncover these thoughts, I would write about them, but it was still wasn't for them. It was for, and I didn't understand what that was. Is this some kind of narcissism? Is this some kind of glorification of my ego? But what it is, is exactly what you just said. It was the desire to communicate. If I were that alone, I would hope for a communication, even if I were not around to enjoy it. Mm. No, we're yeah, always- That's a really tired. interesting, subtle distinction. Yeah. yeah, it is really subtle, but I hadn't, I hadn't realized that. Okay, it's fabulous. Um, Let's do, because See, this is normally a All this stuff super cool? It's, like <laughs> it's so, so much fun. It's so exciting. <laughs> yeah. If we were at like the, you know, if we were at Denny's right now, we'd be doing this for the next three yeah. hours. And that's why I said we get kicked out of wrestling <laughs> oh, yeah. because we just end up talking about this stuff and they're like, they turn on the lights and we keep talking and they that's go, um, and we keep talking and they go, you know, we're closed for 20 minutes now. And we're like, oh, sorry, just say something, man. And yeah. then we leave you. But isn't it interesting that we are kind of, you know, ghettoized, like the writers and I, we hang out and talk writing all the time, all the time, all mm. the time, all the time. And I didn't really know that the artists were having the same, of course they are, of course you are. Um, I'm married to an artist and she, she and I have some really intensely interesting discussions about, yeah. yes, yeah, the same, same thing. And I yeah. understand like creativity works that way. And actually Tommy, she's a fan of yours. When I said I was interviewing you guys tonight, she's like, Oh my God, Harold the ninth. I just, I just love his work. So, um, well, I, I'm getting, some, I'm getting some street cred. Tell her thanks. Yeah, I will. I will. Um, I, and this is not a question on the list. How do you guys feel about um, meditation? Do you either, do either of you practice that? I'm going to pawn this one off to Tommy. It's only fair. Uh, it's something that I very recently got interested in that I've scoffed at for a long time because <laughs> I feel that I'm a, a natural skeptic. Um, but oftentimes when you go in looking to disprove or if you go in skeptic, but you're open to the possibilities, I like that place. And so I went in based on a book I read, this, this plays into a, another, um, question that we were going to discuss, which is oh, yeah, what, talk we, about what have book. we read recently that was yeah. good. So I read a book by Josh Waitskin, uh, who is the subject of the Paramount feature film searching for Bobby Fisher. Oh yeah. Uh, he was sort of known as a chess prodigy when he was young and then he moved out of chess and into the world of tai chi where he became the international push hands champion and he talked about really yeah i mean <laughs> only two things that he was decent at uh, <laughs> the book was mediocre <laughs> yeah but in there he talked about his relationship with meditation and how it's helped him in his life and he phrased it in a way because so much of what i'm sure you end up talking about on this show and what we talk about on our show is the mental constructs that enable you to do a certain thing because yes. you have to think about it in a certain yeah. way in order to do it uh and i'm obsessed with those mental constructs and he put forth a construct for meditation i hadn't heard before and he explained it in a way that you know he was like when people try to meditate, they run into this problem. And I was like, yeah, that's me. And he was like, but that's not 
I'll just paraphrase it here. He basically said, type A personalities, people who want to achieve, they go to meditate and they have some thoughts and they go, ah, I'm having thoughts. I'm not I supposed failed. to do that. Yeah. I failed. And so then they double down. They're like, I will think of nothing. Ah, something. <laughs> it's, it's like one of those moments where someone goes, I'll be quiet now. Starting now. <laughs> starting now and he said it's that the whole time and then they're angry and they get up and they leave and they go meditation is stupid and he said it's not about not having thoughts the point is that you return to your breath so whatever happens you come back you, you get lost and you come back he said it's just getting in touch with the fact that you will get lost and then you can come back and the meditation is actually that moment of catching yourself and coming yeah back. and you develop this this more introspective set of, um, for lack of a better term, neural pathways that come on at other points during your day where you're out on a walk and you are thinking just, oh, I had this experience with another human that was oh, so And you're like, oh, I'm thinking about that. I'm supposed to be looking at, hey, that's a cool house. And then now you're off on the path you meant to be on. And uh, so, yeah, I've, I, I don't do it very, I do it very frequently and not very much. So it's just 10 minutes a day early. It's one of the few things I allow myself to make sure I do before I sit down with coffee to work. But I do it now and I have no idea for how long that will last because I've certainly done a lot of other things daily at other points in my life, but I'm getting a lot of value from it right now. I think of them as mental push-ups, and they allow me to, because I don't, I don't, and I'd like to ask you this, when I'm writing, about four or nine times a second, my brain is going, get up, get up, get up, stop, stop. And the mental push-ups of meditation make me able to say, nope, nope, I'm just coming back. I'm just coming back. Michael, why did, why did you punt it off to him? Are you just like an anti? Oh, no, not at all. Um, I, I, I brought that up because Tommy has been basically ah. telling me all about this stuff recently um, and has been doing a very good job of selling me on it. Um, I, I have been planning to, to get into it pretty much for exactly the reasons y'all have been describing. Um, my answer is going to be a bit more of an oblique tangent, uh, which I now realize doesn't make geometric sense, but I think <laughs> we all understand what I was going at. Um, so it actually, it does sound like a very logical next step for me. Actually, Rachel, for the exact reason you were just describing, um, because being able to, um, emotional regulation is something that has become increasingly um, just desperately fascinating to me. Um, and the ability to weather distraction, not by resisting it, but by sort of folding it into your experience. Um, like I said, Tommy has done a very good job of selling me on that part of it. Um, about a year ago, I started studying, um, cognitive behavioral therapy, mm. um, mostly just to deal with like my own anxiety. And that was actually one of the things that started me on my whole kick of like, let's just Let's completely like break down the car and fix everything from the ground up because it, it has been very, very interesting. But the process of basically um, retooling how you process stimuli mm -hmm. or emotions or distractions is something that's very fascinating to me. Um, and so I have a lot of techniques that I use for that. But meditation sounds like an incredibly useful next step for pretty much all the reasons you all both described up until now. Um, and I did not mean to proselytize for meditation. I was just wondering, cross-disciplinary. No, the reason why would, I yeah. laughed and, and palmed it off on Tommy <laughs> is just because it's it's been a topic that's come up in a lot of our discussions recently. So it was actually a very timely question. I could I could feel it. 
I can feel it. <laughs> um, I can hear my wife like fixing the food for dinner. So I would like you both to tell us about um, your work, where we can find you, about the podcast. Um, Micah, how about you? Um, well, um, I am at uh, just MicahEpsteinArt.com. Um, that's sort of my core portfolio. Um, I'm also on Twitter and Instagram at MicahEpsteinArt, um, which I update with um, criminal infrequency. Um, <laughs> And the podcast is really just sort of the, the main thing that uh, we, we're both sort of plugging here if, if, there's, any, if there's any proselytizing going on. Um, and that's tell a, us about it. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, um, it's actually in many ways very similar to the discussion we've been having where it's just uh, us having discussions about the process and thoughts that go into art making. Um, and that's, we call it black, white, gray. And that's over at uh, bwgcast.com and at patreon.com slash bwgcast. Why is it called that? Um, it's so interesting. I, I, we've we've gotten into this on different points. Um, black, white, gray is um, it's one of one of the things we talk about about on the show is the idea of these sort of we call them mental models, like these container ideas we use to sort of organize information from larger concepts. Um, black, white, gray was one of the first and most impactful mental models that was sort of taught to both of us by our shared teacher, um, the comic artist Brian Stelfreeze. Mm. Um, and on paper, it's essentially a way of organizing the, the values of a painting to make it, uh, read effectively to read in hierarchy, that sort of thing. But I think for both of us, it took on this, uh, much greater personal significance because it was our introduction to this idea of powerful container ideas that you can use to really get into the nuts and bolts of what you do and, and basically enhance your learning by uh, by studying these concepts that's one thing i want to thank you both for because you both stressed something that i find is common among many professional artists is the emphasis on learning there's we're always studying we're always learning because we're completely fast i could not sleep last night i was reading a book about writing and i got so lit up that you know, know. two hours later i was just spinning 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 i was writing notes in the dark like a mad woman i haven't even looked at them yet because i'm scared that i'll look like a drunk person or something you know but that's what we get excited about in learning so thank you yeah thank there you. has to be there has to be that kind of excitement yeah. that i mean brian our teacher has another great uh, sort of mental framework he uses which is that he says all creating people they come in two wavelengths you're you're like a tape recorder you're either recording you're bringing in or you're in oh playback oh my you're, god you're putting out and he That's said so true you really need like at least four to one recording to playback because yes you're just taking in taking in taking in and then when they go hey we got some money will you put out and then you're like well i don't like how you phrase that but yeah i can i can like make <laughs> you something real quick here this is just and he has he has this great description for it which is that like what clients get is what they can find in the garbage. You already ate that meal. It's in the bin. They see it in there and they go, hey, we wanted some of that. And you're like, that's right there. Just give me some money and that. It's fine. So he's like, he kind of thinks that artists' styles and what they make are the byproduct of everything they've taken in. I can absolutely see that. Yeah. That's not really you. And it's an important distinction because when we started out as artists, I felt like what was in the trash was me. I was very concerned right. with what was in the trash. 
and letting go of that has been the most liberating thing. On Isn't that interesting though? Because when the, at the beginning of your career, you're not, you're not able to let anything go. Now I do not care when I'm done with a project. It's yeah. I'll have readers, readers write to me and say, well, what happened after at the book? And I'm like, I don't know. They're fake. I made them up. <laughs> <laughs> I don't care. That's a great answer. <laughs> <But I> don't... <laughs> yeah. But yeah. And, and because I've digested that, that's gone. Yeah. Yeah. The, the gory image, but I like it. <laughs> Oh, yeah. you guys, he has a I, penchant for metaphors. <laughs> yeah. Tell me, tell me where you can, where can you be find, found? Uh, I'm at tommyarnoldart.com. Perfect. It has been such a treat. I basically trust our mutual friend Edward um, with anything. I'll do anything he says. He's, uh, <laughs> he's he's literally the best, and he always tells me the best things. And he said I should interview you guys. And this has been such a delightful treat. We could keep talking for another couple of hours. Uh, yeah, totally yeah. could. But I'm yeah, also like, hungry. <laughs> you always know yeah. when you've met uh, a kindred spirit. Kindred spirits. Yeah. Thank so you. Both this of has you. been so lovely. Yeah, thank thank you. you so much. It's been fantastic. So much. Thanks I'll let you know when it's live and happy creating. Yeah, you too, yeah, man. Happy creating. Enjoy. I hope Bye. those notes turn out okay. <laughs> I'm scared. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Thanks so much for joining me on this episode of How Do You Write? You can reach me on Twitter, Rachel Heron, or at my website, rachelheron.com. You can also support me on Patreon and get essays on living your creative life for as little as a buck an essay at patreon.com slash Rachel, spelled R-A-C-H-A-E-L. And do sign up for my free weekly newsletter of encouragement to writers at rachelheron.com slash write. Now go to your desk and create your own process. Get to writing, my friends. <laughs>